That's absolutely nuts. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Mainline Podcast. My name is Tyler Burton. Hope everybody had a happy Halloween. Hopefully you all had fun trick-or-treating with the kiddos. If you didn't have kids, then hopefully you had fun hanging out at a party, dressed up in whatever the hell your heart desire. But no, uh, good to have you guys joining us as always tonight. I've got Adam Jacquez and Corbin Polson with me. Oklahoma knocks off Texas Tech 52-21 to in what was the most Complete performance all around by the Sooners this season. OU improves to 9-0 on the year. 6-0 in Big 12 Conference play going into a much-needed and much-deserved bye week. We're going to recap Oklahoma's performance in this game. And then, guys, we're going to give our thoughts and analysis on the first set of college football playoff rankings that are actually set to be revealed here in just a few minutes. So uh, those are being unveiled tonight. And then, of course, we're going to finish things up with beers and bets. But, guys, I'm not really sure I remember how to do a podcast fresh off an OU win when there's a ton of positives uh, coming out of the game, a performance that gave the fan base a sigh of relief, and now they've got to be feeling a lot better about this team going into the bye. Yeah, it, I don't know if I can find something to complain about, but I'm sure we'll try and, and at least nitpick because, again, the standards are very high and the expectation going forward is still to win a national championship no matter how hard it seems like it might be to to get past a Georgia or an Alabama or someone like that once we get to a, a playoff scenario. But um, but yeah, you have to feel really good, especially looking back at, you know, this game and the TCU game uh, where we covered as well. The second half of the Texas game, that Kansas game still leaves a really bad taste in our mouths. But otherwise, it's like, man, once Caleb's come into the, the game, this team looks a lot better than they did in the previous, you know, four or five games to start out the year. Yeah, I mean, obviously the the running game is the big thing we probably could pick point out if we wanted to. Um, that didn't look solid at all. But I mean, you score that many points, put up that many yards against a tech team who's not terrible. Like, yeah, it's hard to kind of find a spot to be like, ah, I'm unhappy about this. But that's what we do best as OU fans. So I'm sure we can find things along the way on the podcast. But really interested to see kind of what takes place tonight in the first initial rankings. I think OU could be anywhere from two to eight, honestly. So it'll be very strange to kind of see how it all plays out. But Tyler, I know um, obviously you both were at the game. So what were your initial thoughts there uh, being there live? Initial thoughts is, guys, I think we're running out of superlatives to, to describe what Caleb Williams is doing at the quarterback position. I mean, come on, 23 of 30 for 402 yards, six t- touchdown passes. I thought he showed tremendous patience staying in the pocket, going through his progressions, finding the open man. And guys, when he had to, he was able to extend things and make big plays down the field to uh, to the wide receiving core, which I thought as a complete unit, they had their best overall performance of the game. And that says a lot when you whenever you think about what Marvin Mims did against Texas. But uh, Marvin had over 100 yards, a couple touchdowns. Mario Williams, uh, his best performance all around in his young career in, in an Oklahoma uniform. He had over 100 yards and touchdown. And then, guys, kind of the unsung hero, week in and week out, Mr. Consistency, Drake Stoops. I can't say enough good things about this guy. I tweeted it out during the game. I wish OU had five more guys just like him. Um, you know, tough, gritty, reliable football player that no matter what his job is, he does it and he does it well. So big thing for me coming out of that, coming out of this game offensively was Caleb Williams was dynamic as ever. And, you know, we finally saw elite level type play from the wide receiver position. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't really a whole lot that you can say, hey, that wasn't great other than the running game. And it really it was something that Lincoln gave up on pretty quick and pretty early and didn't really come back to. Um, so I guess you could say, yeah, it's a concern that the offensive line didn't open up holes you know, early in the game. Um, but if you're not going to call running plays, you really can't see if that's just a consistent thing or if you know Texas Tech had really taken it away. But 
really from what you were asking of this team coming in, you know, Hey, fix everything on defense, look, you know, solid on offense, play complimentary football. And they, they really did that. You know, we finally got some turnovers, although, you know, you would like the defensive backs to really have created those turnovers themselves instead of getting a tip. And, you know, one of them was even on a fourth down. So it really didn't matter in the grand scheme of things. We're getting the ball back anyway in great field positions. So, you know, but it is baby steps, you know, get this, get this defense feeling good about themselves coming out and attacking. Um, I still want them to tackle with a little bit better form and not get dragged for three yards every time uh, they make contact, but baby steps, heal up, you know, get some more players back for, uh, for Baylor here in a couple of weeks. The only logical thing I can make sense of just the complete lack of running game is that Lincoln Riley has just conceded that Georgia is going to be in the national championship game and you're not going to be able to run on them. So you might as well test this out of Caleb Williams throwing the ball every single play. Uh, obviously, I'm saying that halfway jokingly, but like, let's be real. If that actually comes to light where we play Georgia, that's actually probably what needs to happen uh, because mm-hmm. nobody's running the ball on that defense. So you might as well test that secondary who is injury uh, ridden right now and they're not full strength. I don't think they'll be full strength for the rest of the year. So maybe that's the thought process. I don't know. Um, but you're right, Adam. He he gave up that on that early. I don't know if it was just uh, having flashbacks of his old Texas Tech Red Raider days and where we're throwing the ball over the yard. I don't know what it was, but it was kind of strange. I think if anybody needs a, a week off, it's Kennedy Brooks anyway. So maybe we can take that with a, a silver lining that basically had two weeks off heading into uh, the toughest stretch of the season for this team. Well, I think that kind of leads right into the question that I was going to ask you guys, speaking about the running back position, and that was Marcus Major, a, a guy that we finally got to saw in action, getting some live reps in the fourth quarter on Saturday. And Adam, I thought that he ran the ran the ball extremely well. I mean, it was only five carries, but how do you uh, how do you feel about the possibility of Marcus Major going into this final stretch being considered that true number two running back. I still think they need to get Eric Gray some more opportunities as the number two guy. And maybe it's situational. Maybe it's the screen and swing passes. Maybe it's motioning out to a wide receiver position. Um, I would love to see him utilized a lot more in tempo scenarios, especially when they want to keep the defense from substituting because he's a guy like a DeMarco Murray, who's his coach um, that you can say, Hey, you know, let's go into a five wide set with Eric Gray out wide and Jeremiah Hall out wide. And then the very next play, no substitutions, keep those guys in, in a more traditional, maybe even if it's in a pistol, but like a two back set. So I think there's a lot of versatility there. That's just still not unlocked yet. And especially in the two back sets, if Kennedy Brooks is able to get on the field at the same time, but I did like what we saw from Marcus major. It was great to see him get into the end of the game there. Um, I would love to see him do it maybe against a a better opponent like a Baylor where we really have to get first downs to salt the game away, but um, it was good to see him back in. If there's one thing we know heading into the final three games of the season is all of these defenses, Baylor, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State are all going to hit you. They're going to hit you hard. So having another body in there um, is very important. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but Marcus is the biggest of them all as far as just overall stature, if I remember correctly. So it'll be nice just to have one fresh legs in there as well. Obviously a guy who's had five carries on the year, like you mentioned, Tyler. So promising to see, obviously, ball security is going to be very important. Um, you know, we can't afford any turnovers heading into these final three games. But I still think Eric Gray is the number two guy. Um, kind of echoing what Adam said, it would, in my opinion, it would be nice to see Eric Gray get a little more versatile now that Marcus Major is back in the running back rotation get him in the slot a little bit more. I think those are uh, key things heading forward to, like Adam said, use his athleticism a bit to uh, to expose some defenses. 
I think part of me still thinks that Lincoln is purposefully holding a few things back when it, when it comes to Eric Gray that he's maybe saving for this final three-game stretch. I mean, you, you go back and you watch his tape at Tennessee. He's too good of an athlete. He's too explosive of a playmaker, especially down the field or out in space. So we've got to continue to look for more ways to get him the ball. Now, as far as Marcus Major goes, I think it was pretty obvious watching him carry the football on Saturday that you know, you see the physicality runs like his hair on fire. I think that he's going to play a big role going down this uh, the the last two months of the season, and I hope that Lincoln and Demarco are using this bye week to continue to help him out, uh, continue to get him ready, build some confidence, and get him some more snaps. Because, like I said, I think Oklahoma closing out games in the fourth quarter of these next four to five weeks, uh, I think the Marcus Major could have a big time role in that. How cool was it to see Spencer Rattler come into the game too and just abs- absolutely rip one uh, deep? And so that was really special. I, I I think the narrative is slowly starting to change. I love that the fans and the students, what you know, hundred of them that were left at that point in the game, were chanting uh, Spencer Rattler. And um, I, I think the narrative is changing though to the point where it's like, wow, we we have two really good quarterbacks, and Caleb is just that much better. Not necessarily that Spencer sucks or anything. So. I like that there was a little bit of redemption there. Um, we'll see if there are more moments for that as the season goes on, but I love that we had that moment, if nothing else, through the rest of his career. In it, it was it was really good to see, and honestly, whenever he started warming up, I saw I, I got a text message from a buddy of mine wanting to know, like, you know, what's the fan reaction going to be whenever he takes whenever he trots out there to take a snap? And I, I thought it was a great moment. I thought, you know, a kid that for what he's gone through the last three to four weeks, he deserved a moment like that, and it almost kind of felt like. And not an apology, but that was the OU fan base, particularly the student section, kind of saying, you know, we're sorry. You know, you're you know, you're part of this team. You've been a huge part of the success that we've had over the last year and a half. So it was good to see that. But I want to touch on one more thing regarding the defense before we get to the playoff rankings. Uh, Corbin, throwing it over to you, man. Um, Key Lawrence making the switch over to corner. I know me personally. I didn't like the idea of it last uh, going into the game last week. Coming out of Kansas, he was the best defender that we had, changing positions, and he held up well out there in space. None of us liked it, right? We all mocked that rumor that was heading around in the podcast last week, and all of a sudden, you know, he's potentially our best defensive secondary player. At least he was, you know, last Saturday. So uh, forget the interceptions from the safeties that – Adam, you're spot on. They're right place, right time, and we appreciate the turnover. But it wasn't like they were stepping in front of passes and things like that. Uh, what Key Lawrence did on Saturday was impressive. Um, talk about a guy who is now going to force the hand of Roy Manning and Alex Grinch uh, to make a spot for him on the field. It'll be really interesting to see what happens when Woody Washington comes back. Um, how does that all pan out? Because I think we all expect him to get back into the starting rotation. So does that make Key Lawrence, you know, shift back into a safety position? It's going to be very interesting to see how all that uh, that returns. But guys, I don't know what what switched between the defense over the last couple of weeks, but at least on Saturday, I know they gave a little bit of points more than we would like to see. But two of those were some really solid catches from some Texas Tech wide receivers that you can kind of live with. Um, but for the most part. Really solid day, and yeah, hard not to um, you know point to Key Lawrence in particular of why um, the defense looked better on Saturday. I, I still don't love the move, uh, simply because I don't think Texas Tech had the quarterbacks to really test that properly, um, no matter how good Eric Azucama is. But um, you know, we'll see what happens. I do think Key Lawrence is one of our best defensive backs, and so get him on the field. Um, I'd, I'd much rather him replace you know Pat Fields in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because up to this point, all of his great plays were really against the run, not necessarily defending the pass. So that's why it was a little bit of a head scratcher. And I would like to see us not give up on some of the younger guys like Billy Bowman and Latrell McCutcheon. 
Um, but we'll see going forward you know, we've got a couple of weeks to sort it out, get some more guys back and, and really, you know, go, uh, uh, full force into Baylor. You could definitely tell that there the, the continuity and the confidence of the secondary on Saturday, having DTY back in the lineup, it kind of seemed like when he and Pat Fields are back there together, they played so many snaps of football over their career at Oklahoma. Kind of seems like things got tightened up a little bit and everybody was more uh more consistent with the you know being assignment sound and so on and so forth. But no, Corbin, you uh you hit the nail on the head. And I talked about it going into the preseason where I actually wanted to see Woody Washington at the nickelback position. And now going into this last three game stretch, particularly with Iowa State and Charlie Kolar, who has made a lot of NFL draft money off of what he's done against Oklahoma alone, I think Key Lawrence covering him in the slot uh is uh, is a good recipe for success against Oklahoma. Um, but no, Adam, you touched on Billy Bowman and that, that's kind of something that I've c- kind of had a problem with coming out of this game. This has nothing to do with how Justin Broyles has played so far this year. Uh, Broyles has been a bright spot throughout the first nine weeks of the season and has been a guy in the secondary um, that really has been pretty consistent throughout the year. But I think it's kind of wrong what happened to Billy Bowman. I mean, this is a guy who came in as a true freshman, won the job in fall camp, got the opportunity to be that starting nickelback. And I thought he played extremely well in that role. Then because of injuries, because of poor play, he was moved to corner, a position he hasn't played or even repped until the week of the TCU game. And now after struggling in the last couple games, he gets put on the bench behind Justin Broyles and he isn't even getting a chance to play nickel anymore. I texted you, Adam. Uh, Bowman was warming up with the corners on Saturday and he didn't even really get any meaningful snaps. So I think I've just seen a lot of DBs get their confidence ruined here because they're playing either out of position or or they aren't being used properly. So I hope they can use this bye week to kind of move him back to nickel and get him ready to go for the last month of the season. It'll be interesting to see how the entire secondary plays out. Um, But nonetheless, great win on Saturday. I think all of us can feel happy heading into the bye week. And then obviously uh, the gauntlet in November that we've talked about again and again. But obviously want to focus now. We're actually going to be watching the the, uh, college football ranking show live. So we will get live reactions here. So before we hop into that, um, as we're waiting for the uh, the first rankings to be posted here on the screen, wanted to get just the team's overall thoughts uh, very quickly. Who is your top six um, currently? We'll see how those match up uh, with what the playoff committee thinks. But Tyler, let's start with you. Um, your top six as things stand right now really interesting on and again I'm really excited to not just get the playoff committee's thoughts on this but also your guys as well in terms of what metrics you're truly valuing whenever coming up with this decision and honestly for me I'll just throw them out here right now um number one Georgia I think we can all agree on that number one for me number two I've got Michigan State undefeated team eight no good win against Michigan this past weekend uh, I've got Cincinnati number three Oklahoma number four I've got Oregon five Alabama six. Ohio State seven, so I know you asked for six, but that's going to be my seven there. I, I went with, I went with the four undefeated teams. I mean, there's you play the games for for a reason, so I'm going to reward teams that uh, that power five teams that haven't lost a game this year. Um, Alabama, Ohio State, chances are, yeah, I would probably pick them against Michigan State and Cincinnati, but it's really what have you done up to this point? that has led you to be the most deserving team to be in this top four. So that's why I've got Georgia, MSU, Cincy, and Oklahoma in my top four. I, I agree with that whole thought line because if the games really don't matter and you're actually going to put Ohio State and Alabama ahead of several undefeated teams like we could see tonight, I mean, why play the games? Oh, you should just not play any of the games because we were number two to start the season. We should just shut it down. 
and continued the hype machine of this is a really great team with a great defense and a great, uh, you know, experienced quarterback in Spencer Rattler and just go ahead and pencil us into the Cotton Bowl and the playoffs there. We'll play as a number two seed and, you know, let's just have exhibition games all year that don't count mm-hmm. to the rankings, just complete scrimmages for Bama, OU, Ohio State, Georgia every year. Um, so with that said, my rankings, I try to give a good balance of, you know, undefeated and for what you've done on the field and rewarding you there. And then also the best wins uh, and resume there. So I'm going Georgia one, Cincinnati two, because I think they have the best win out of pretty much any team out there on the road at Notre Dame, uh, Michigan state three, OU four. And then just on the outside, I've got Oregon, Ohio state and wake forest to, to round up there. Wake forest is interesting because their best win is maybe Virginia. So they really don't have a whole lot of a leg to stand on. They've played a lot of games really close. Um, and I mean, just the eye test, they don't, they don't quite pass there. We know they don't have the talent, but, um, I mean, they control their own destiny there in my opinion still. So you've got Alabama at eight. Oh, I knew I left someone out. If I, I guess actually, (laughs) yeah, I don't, I don't love Oregon. I think I would probably put, I probably put Bama between Oregon and Ohio state. I, I don't, I don't like putting Oregon that high. They just really haven't looked that good. I thought they've looked better the past couple weeks. Um, and they've got the best win in college football. So they do. You can't take that off the board. Um, yeah, I, I honestly, guys, like I tried to just put down who I thought were, were the best teams in a specific rank at this moment. Um, th- what's so interesting about this first week, maybe in comparison to previous years, it, I genuinely think between two and eight, like you can make an argument for whatever you want and it, it could have some validity to it. So I just. I just tried to put things on paper that made sense to me. So I've got Georgia at one. So we're at least all consistent there. I do think Alabama is the second best team in the country. I've got them at two. Uh, But if you look at Alabama's schedule, they just, they don't have a very good win. Their one um, win is, is Ole Miss, who I think is a solid football team, but I wouldn't say it's a marquee win by any stretch of the imagination. So the other, you know, top team you played is a Texas A&M team and you lost. Um, Michigan State, again, unblemished a huge win last weekend. I've got Oklahoma at four. I think the fact that they have nine wins is important. And while they haven't necessarily looked great in some of those wins, that is nine wins, which is more than anybody else in college football right now. You can't ignore that. I've got Cincy there at five, followed by Ohio State and Oregon. Um, Ohio State's another great example, very similar to Bama. All of their wins, while they've looked impressive lately, there's not a, a marquee victory on their entire schedule. Um, and it's hard to justify having Oregon behind them when you look at it that way. But just looking at what I see these two teams as, um, that's how I've got it laid out. But I can see, obviously, right now we've got the uh, 25 through 21. So, guys, I'll just run this through here real quick. Uh, coming in at 25 is Pitt. 24 is San Diego State coming off a loss last weekend. Very surprised there. Uh, Fresno State, who beat them, is at 23. Iowa, 22. Wisconsin, I'm stunned that I just saw Wisconsin ranked. At five and three, Wisconsin is ranked at 21 overall. Someone please have that make sense to me. So Wisconsin has started to play a little bit better. Um, They control their destiny in the Big Ten West, which really doesn't say a whole lot. Um, You know, about two weeks ago, I was running and hiding saying I didn't pick Wisconsin to win the Big Ten and go to the playoffs at the beginning of the year. But now I'm like, okay, maybe there's a shot. They seem to be playing a a little bit better. Iowa turns out, I don't want to call them a fraud, but their offense finally caught up with them in a major way. And they 
just don't look the same when they can't get those turnovers, which I don't know, maybe there's a parallel to OU there and how we're relying on turnovers with Alex Grinch system, but that was what Iowa was relying on. And, um, you know, they're falling like a rock right now. Something else to keep in mind also with Wisconsin, that's a team that Notre Dame beat pretty soundly, especially in the second half, which could also go a long way when talking about the resume of Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got the best win in college football outside of Oregon traveling to the shoe. They took out Notre Dame in South Bend, and Notre Dame's got the big-time win over Wisconsin. So something to keep an eye on as well. And have we got the next five? We do. So 20 through 16 here. So Minnesota at 20 at 6-2 and two there. NC State at 19. Kentucky coming off a loss last weekend at 18. Mississippi State, who just beat Kentucky at 17. Ole Miss there at 16. So interesting that Ole Miss is a little bit lower um, here. What are they? What were they ranked in the AP? Oh. Uh- I'm not sure, but while you're looking that up, Minnesota is an interesting one at 20, six and two. The two most interesting uh, losses there, one to Ohio State in the opener and then the other to Bowling Green. And I think they're on their third string running back now after losing so many guys to injury. That's starting to look like a quality win for Ohio State. That that's a huge takeaway is the Big Ten's getting quite a bit of love already in this, and that absolutely serves for the Buckeyes to have a pretty good ranking to um, to open up tonight. And that takes us all the way uh, to 11 through 15. Number 15, BYU coming in at 7 and 2. Texas A&M, I thought they'd be a little bit higher up, but uh, uh, committee's got them at, at number 14. Auburn, number 13. Uh, that sets up a big time top 15 matchup in College Station this weekend. Auburn, Texas A&M. And then we finally get our first look at a Big 12 team. Uh, Baylor uh, going to be at number 12. Oklahoma State at number 11. And we talked about it uh, going into last week, guys. I mean, the the stretch that Oklahoma is about to uh, go into, you're essentially going to be looking at two probably top ten match, uh, top ten teams that OU is going to be playing against. So something to keep an eye on is there uh, as we move into the top ten. Interesting there. I thought heading into the weekend that that probably Auburn and or AM could be ranked ahead of Oklahoma State or Baylor, and obviously that would have settled itself out. The fact that they're already both ahead of those two teams is uh, is pretty telling. Yeah, Oklahoma State, uh, very interesting here. They've got you know West Virginia on the road this weekend, TCU at home, and then at Texas Tech before facing OU in Bedlam. So very winnable, but at the same time, we saw West Virginia beat Iowa State last week. We know that's not an easy road trip to, to Morgantown, and then Lubbock's certainly not an easy place to play either. TCU, who knows what they come out as, you know, after Gary Patterson essentially was fired. Um, but um, it'll be interesting to see if OSU can hold up their end of the bargain. We know that they are traditionally a team that kind of fades as the season goes on. They're, they don't have a ton of depth like OU does. So a few key guys start getting bumped and bruised up, get out, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, they, they end the season on a little bit of a downstretch. So that could be a really quality top 10 win, probably potentially a game day uh, experience there uh, on November 27th for OU. Look Before out for the- TCU this weekend. That that's a that yeah. screams trap game, right? Yeah. Coming off a big win against Texas, uh, having you know hosting Oklahoma in the following week, and that's a weird rivalry game. Look out for things, and uh, and I believe they're playing in Fort Worth as well. So mm-hmm. look out for that one. Corbin, what do we have as far as top ten goes? Has anything been released I, I yet? Haven't seen it yet? Adam, have you seen it? I have not. Uh, we are, of course, watching this live as it comes out, and I, I'm guessing they're probably going to send us to a little bit of a commercial break. Um, I'll touch a little bit on Auburn, at number 13. Right, here Here's 10. You got Notre it. Dame is 10. Big for Cincinnati there. 
big for Cincinnati. And and one thing that I do want to point out before we get to uh, Oklahoma's being announced here in just a few minutes, just a quick reminder to all Oklahoma fans that are out there, you know, the rankings tonight absolutely do not matter at all. Yes, we're going to react to it. We're going to break it all down. But if you're one of the remaining undefeated Power 5 teams, OU, Georgia, Michigan State, Wake Forest, you control your own destiny here. Okay, maybe not Wake Forest, but we'll get to that. But if you're Oklahoma, it doesn't matter if you're number two or number eight tonight. You take care of business these next four weeks, you will at worst be the number two seed playing down in Arlington here in December. Notre Dame, a few spots lower than what they are in the AP poll. They're number eight over there. They really don't have too many opportunities left for a quality win, but their only losses to Cincinnati, you'd think that maybe they have a shot to sneak their way in with some chaos. Wow, Wake, Wake Forest, Forest coming in at nine. Guys, Ooh. I never in my lifetime would have thought that Wake Forest would be a top 10 football program and give credit where credit's due. The ACC right now is atrocious, but they have won every game on their schedule. Tyler, you don't think they control their own destiny to the playoff? That That's going to be one argument because I feel like the ACC is so bad this year. And honestly, okay. the teams that we thought that were going to be really good, Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, they've kind of fallen apart this year. Now, obviously, Wake Forest, eight, no, tremendous start for that program. I think that number nine, that's the highest ranking in program history for them. But when you look at the back end of their schedule at Chapel Hill this weekend against the Tar Heels, NC State at Clemson at Boston College, if they win out, They've got just as good of a case as anybody, especially if they win that conference championship game. But right now, uh, talent discrepancy, I don't really know. But uh, I think it'll ultimately uh, it'll play out itself here in the end. Wow, Oklahoma, it comes in at number eight. Woof. <laughs> I mean, no Jesus. respect there. Um, I, I mean, yeah, there's not a great signature win. Texas is kind of a 500 team. K-State's, you know, barely over 500. There's really not a quality win for OU there, but you have to at least appreciate the difference in play in two out of the three games since the quarterback switched there. Um, wow. That, yeah, that's, that's absolutely that's nuts. That's nuts to me. And again, I know I just said, you know, this doesn't matter. Do, do not react to this, but that's... So, I, I didn't see him falling any lower than six, but having him at eight, that means they're going to have what three one-loss teams ranked ahead of them. Michigan will be ahead. Of, so I don't. What has Michigan done? I, I don't. I don't really understand that. I mean, they've lost the one game that mattered on their schedule. They played Nebraska close. I, I don't know what Michigan's done that you can really justify that. But again, it really doesn't matter at this point in time. Wow. There'll be, there'll be four one-loss teams. We haven't seen Oregon either. I guess they're really crediting Michigan for a win at Wisconsin. Which I mean, the, the love for the Big Ten in this ranking is uh, is amazing, to be honest. God. Waiting for number, yeah. number seven to drop seven? here. No, the, seven's not up yet. The way this bothers me, though, is that we, we talk about, oh, you really needs to be in that two or three spot at minimum to avoid playing someone in the Orange Bowl. Uh, as the four seed, which would either be Bama or Georgia. You do not want to play one of those games in your first round, um, you know, far, far away from home, play in the Cotton Bowl, play it against someone with lesser talent like a Cincinnati, a Michigan State, a Michigan. So we can all agree agree at this point now, Oklahoma has to go undefeated. Yes, 100%. And as you say that, Corbin, Michigan is coming in at number seven. Seven Seven-to-one Michigan, fresh off a loss against Michigan State this past weekend. And like you said, I don't know who Michigan's best win is against this year. Um, I guess Wisconsin, like you said, Adam, but 
I mean, well, let's, walk, let's walk through the schedule here for Michigan. They beat Western Michigan. They've beaten Washington. They've beaten Northern Illinois. They've beaten Rutgers. They've beaten now ranked Wisconsin. They have beaten Nebraska. They beat Northwestern, and they have lost to Michigan State. Now, granted, the the scores at the end of the game look much better than OU's, but but where's where's the quality win that's any, any better than what OU's got? I didn't even have it. Michigan wrote down on <laughs> wrote down on here. I mean, in, in my pairing, yeah. I had Michigan at ten. Yeah, God, I don't. I, I don't. Not sure how you get there. Um, I I think I disagree with you a little bit. I don't think OU has to be undefeated. I think if they're going to lose, it really needs to be at Baylor to give you an opportunity to come back, beat a highly ranked Oklahoma State team, beat maybe a top twenty five Iowa State team if they can sneak in, and then win again against Baylor in the Big Twelve Championship game to kind of revenge that loss. Um, but I think starting at number eight is, is really tough, but you really can't say never because you never know what might get, um, you know, it, it, there's so much chaos in college football. Someone that's always going to lose when you least expect it. See, Adam, I completely disagree with you there. I think that this, I think that them slotting OU at number eight behind so many one loss teams. Now, obviously looking at who's going to be left on the board to take up these next six spots, Michigan state, uh, Michigan. Um, those are two teams that is going to have to play Ohio state, Oregon. So, Oregon, Oregon in there too. Oregon. I mean, with, I mean, who are they going to lose to at this point? Georgia Washington, number maybe. one, of course. There we go. All right, guys. So Alabama just popped up there at, at two. So Georgia one, Alabama two to start things off. And Tyler, I think we discussed this before the pod. Are they the two best teams? Most likely. I think that's that's probably a mm-hmm. safe bet. But yeah. it seems this is this is pretty a strange start to the rankings. Well, I mean, <laughs> obviously they're a one-loss team. Yes, from a talent standpoint, yes, they do have Nick Saban. They probably are one of the top two, if not three, best teams in the country. But their loss is on the road to a two-loss Texas A&M team that was coming off back-to-back losses against Arkansas and Mississippi State. So, um, obviously, we'll we'll have to kind of wait to find out what the the committee, when the chairman comes up here in front of the uh, the camera here in a second, what his thoughts are. Um, Michigan State coming in at number three, big. Big opportunity for for Mel Tucker coming off a big time win, probably one of the bit the biggest in program's history this past weekend. Um, Michigan State they got their work cut out for them though at Purdue this weekend. I think if Iowa was telling you, they'd say watch out. They can they can jump up there and bite you. Maryland at Ohio State, Penn State to close out the year. But uh, shout out Sparty, good for them. Obviously, so it's rigged, right? <laughs> there's there's no way that since he's at four with everything we've just seen, right? I mean, it's got to be Ohio State, right? This is incredibly inconsistent because Michigan State really doesn't have too many super impressive wins other than the Michigan game. So by that standard, you would probably rank them, you know, a spot ahead of OU. But there's a five spot gap between the two programs. Alabama has a loss, but I don't know how you can really, you know, justify putting them at two above so many other teams. This is, but this is, I mean, this is par for the course for the playoff committee. Very inconsistent. Wow, Oregon, Oregon number four. Oh my gosh how how is Michigan State behind Bama? If we're just looking at like what they've done, I mean Bama has a loss and Michigan State has a better win. What's what's that three letter patch on the jersey, Corbin? I know, but like golly, guys. Well, what's interesting is I thought they probably could have even put A and M or Auburn ahead of maybe a Baylor, Oklahoma State. So they actually respected the Big Twelve and like just the results on the field a lot more there. But then you get to the top of the standings and it's like, why even schedule the games? Why even play any of the games? Just have Georgia and Bama play in the national championship game. I mean, 
It's well, almost I mean, like essentially they, they, they they've got a college football playoff quarterfinal that's going to happen here in about five weeks. But I mean, guys, and one other thing to kind of you know put this back on Oklahoma before we see teams five and six. If you're Lincoln Riley. You couldn't have asked for any more motivation than this. Yes, mm-hmm. going into championship November, opportunity for you to win your seventh straight Big 12 championship, put yourself in a position to compete for a national championship, but you've got the comedia valuing your body of work, going a perfect 9-0, and doing everything that you've been asked to do. Yes, it hasn't been the prettiest performance on the field, but you've won every single game. You've done everything that you've needed to up to this point, and they value you at number eight behind four one-loss teams. You know Lincoln what Riley's- this does? This opens the door where if Georgia goes and barely beats Alabama, mm-hmm. Bama can get in. Yep. That's yep. what this does. A two-loss Alabama that doesn't win their title can absolutely get in as long as they win their next three, four games. Mm-hmm. You know, I complain about it after pretty much every win, uh, every week. The tweets that say 9-0, and a win is a win, 8-0, every single week we've seen those tweets. Well, it turns out that, you know, and obviously these rankings mean nothing. The only one that matters is the one at the end of the season. But some wins matter more than others uh, to the committee. And you can't just constantly scrape by uh, by the skin of your teeth every single week. And so, um, Adam, Adam, to cut you off right there, Ohio State, number five, Cincinnati at six. Man, I mean, Cincinnati should just quit their football program. I mean, if they can't get more respect than that after beating Notre Dame, which is better than any win that Ohio State has. Like, why why play the games? Why does it even matter at this point? You're, they're going to put three one-loss Power 5 teams ahead of Cincinnati. Like, you, you can only play the schedule that's before you. And Cincinnati scheduled a really tough out-of-conference schedule. Yeah, Indiana's not what we thought they might be at the beginning of the year, but Notre Dame is, is all that you know we thought they could be. And the only loss they have is the Cincinnati. I mean, no respect. Mm-hmm. I don't think Notre Dame is very good, if you want me to be completely honest. But, but you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't have Notre Dame ranked high and then drop Cincinnati to number six. Like this, none of this makes any sense. And and to be fair, like this is a made for TV show. Maybe it is something where they're like, hey, let's just throw something out there. We're not going to fine tune our rankings all that much, and maybe that's good enough uh, for the first couple of weeks just to you know, have a, a rankings out there that are easily discussed, lots of controversy. And then really at the end of the season, let's put our actual, you know, brains together and really come up with what we really think. Looking, looking at kind of the, the future schedules here, um, a few in particular I wanted to highlight. So obviously starting with Oklahoma at Baylor versus Iowa State at Oklahoma State, most likely playing against Baylor or Oklahoma State again in the Big 12 championship game. So an opportunity there for three top 15 wins, you know, to kind of close out the year. Then you look at Alabama versus LSU versus Arkansas at Auburn. And then obviously we all expect them to play Georgia in the SEC championship shift to the Big Ten, which is very interesting all of a sudden at Nebraska for Ohio State at Nebraska versus Michigan State at Michigan. And obviously the Big Ten title game shift down to the Spartans at Purdue. Scary game if I'm a Michigan Spartan fan is this at Purdue game this weekend versus Maryland at Ohio State versus Penn State Big Ten title game. Auburn at AM versus Mississippi State, at South Carolina versus Alabama. Guys, of those five teams, who has got the toughest stretch to round out the year? Go ahead, Adam. Man, that's tough. Um, initially, I thought OU, but then I look at that and go, man, they have the fewest games really to get to the end of the year. 
And everyone on that schedule is really tough for OU, so they have a big opportunity to really jump up in the rankings. But just the fact that they have fewer games than pretty much everyone else, I think makes it a little bit easier. I think Ohio State might have the toughest schedule here, maybe Ohio State or, or, or Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State, Michigan, and then a Big Ten title game for Ohio State to round it out, plus a trip at Nebraska. Nebraska doesn't look that scary, but I think they're they're good enough to pull an upset in the right scenario. Um, an 11 a.m. game in Lincoln, we saw them firsthand. They're you know they're they're a tough team to play against, so you never know. Um, but everyone's got a lot of opportunities for quality wins down the stretch here. Yeah, for me, I, I think it's Michigan State as well. Uh, I mean, coming off of a win against Michigan, Mel Tucker having to find a way to kind of bring the, his guys back down to earth. Like, okay, yes, that is a big time win, but also. And now the committee's laid it out for them. They're a top four team. Everything that we want to achieve is out there in front of us right now. They've got a tricky game going on the road to Purdue this weekend. Obviously, Purdue knocked off number two Iowa just a couple weeks ago. You've got Maryland um, coming to East Lansing here in a couple weeks, and then back to back weeks to finish the season out at Ohio State at the Shoe in Columbus, and then back home against Penn State, a, a team that. When Sean Clifford is healthy, Penn State is a is a very good football team and somebody that's going to be a, a tough out for anyone. So I've got Michigan State and and guys, Oklahoma's got a tough stretch as well. I mean, at Baylor, you know that's a that's a top twelve matchup. Uh, Iowa State, I know that they're not ranked right now, but Matt Campbell, uh, that he's kind of been a thorn in Lincoln Riley's side the last three to four years. And then you finish it up with at OSU, and then what's most likely going to be uh, Bedlam round two. So OU, yes, they are number eight. Everything is out there in front of them, and it's just, it's it's going to be a tough road to get there. But all of these teams that you mentioned, Corbin, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan State, it's all out there. If they take care of business, I will not ha- I will not have any complaints whatsoever about them being in the playoff. The question has to be asked, and as you mentioned a little bit ago, Tyler, we this is November second. We got a long way to go for the season to round out. Typically, these things play themselves out just fine. Yep. But the question has to be asked, with OU being 9-0, and the only 9-0 and team in the country right now, and they come in at 8, does this team need help? Let's let's just take a look at what we have in front of us right now. So as of right now, granted, more quality wins will come to OU schedule if they do decide to win out. But you've got, obviously, Michigan State and Ohio State and Michigan, they're all going to play each other. Most likely, you're either going to have a – what will be a very interesting question is what happens to Ohio State and Michigan State if Ohio State beats Michigan State and Ohio State beats Michigan, but they they both went out and are one-loss teams, what happens with those two? That, that to me, is a very troubling scenario if you're an Oklahoma fan of a one-loss Michigan State who's at three right now and potentially a one-loss Ohio State who's going to end the year, as we just discussed, um, you know, potentially having to beat Michigan and Michigan State to round out who are both top seven teams. There, there is a scenario here, guys, in my opinion, based on how this ranking is, where OU does not get in the playoff, but they go undefeated. Uh, I think that would be uh, really tough because the conference championship game is one of the differentiators that the playoff committee is supposed to look at. And so that's going to be a differentiator. I, I think, you know, Alabama beating Georgia in SEC championship game is one of the worst things that could happen for OU and pretty much any other team out there. We don't want to see two SEC teams in there. Um, but I mean, could Oregon win out? Um, well, they're in. Could Alabama win out? They're in. Georgia could only lose to, to Alabama in the SEC championship game. They're very likely in. And so then you look at, okay, at that point, is it Michigan State that wins out? 
Is it Ohio State that wins out? Uh, you know, who who is the differentiator there as far as getting in? Does a one-loss Ohio State champ get in over an undefeated OU? I don't know. That's tough. As they as they've 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 laid the foundation for that with how the rankings have been tonight. Yeah, and it's uh, almost like uh, disregard Cincinnati. They're basically have been told you have no shot. Well, I mean, the the fact that you've got three one loss teams ranked ahead of Cincinnati, and Cincinnati, the best thing that they can that they could possibly have done on their schedule, which was knock out yeah. Notre Dame, they've already done that. So the committee is basically saying, okay, this is as high as we're going to value what you've done so far this season. SMU getting beat by Houston this past weekend that takes away a top potentially a top twenty matchup for them. If I'm Cincinnati, I'm I'm kind of concerned right now uh, about my possibilities of becoming a you know part of this fourteen playoff, but. Guys, Oklahoma being at number eight. I mean, I know that, and obviously we haven't listened to what they're saying on the TV. I know that um, game control has been a huge factor that the committee has taken into consideration over the past couple of years. How Not just how are you winning your games, but are you in control of them? Are you dominating your opponent from start to finish? And guys, that could be something that the committee members, those guys in the room that are saying, hey, Oklahoma, they just, yes, they found a way to win all nine of their games, but they just simply haven't looked good doing it. So I tweeted just a second ago, it seems to me, and again, it's November 2nd, but the committee, what they're telling us tonight is they value a quality loss more than a team being undefeated. Guys, here's the thing, though, with with how we've seen the rankings unfold. You look at a Cincinnati, they've got two opportunities now for a ranked win since Houston and SMU are ranked. Um, and I wouldn't expect either. I know Houston, I think, I believe, well, excuse me, SMU goes on the road to Memphis this weekend. That's obviously going to be a bit tough, but I, you wouldn't expect either of those teams to to lose um, moving forward. So, yeah, they, they have SMU at home, and I would imagine they would have Houston in the, in the championship game there. So, again, a team that is undefeated, ranked in front of OU, that has two opportunities there, plus a conference champion. Are we behind Cincinnati unless, unless they lose? I, 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 don't, I don't know what, what OU has done or hasn't done that validates Cincy being in front of them, but Cincy not being in front of power five teams with one loss. So the only thing I'm taking away from this guys, to be honest, is that the committee is, is put on paper that the teams who they think are best. Mm -hmm. Like there is, there's no resume to validate this. There's no uh, thought process to validate this outside of these are the teams we think is Mm -hmm. our best. And if that's the way they want to go about it, that's fine, but they better stay consistent on that Mm -hmm. moving forward because this is again, November 2nd, we got a long way to go. This is a very, I'm potentially scary kind of foundation they have built here with with where they have teams ranked early on. Yeah, obviously we've said it a million times already. Meaningless rankings at this point, but probably the worst uh, you know spot that OU could be in in the initial yes. rankings here. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you gotta love OU's position and opportunity to move up here. Three toughest teams on the schedule plus the Big Twelve title game, which will be almost for sure, I think, at this point, a rematch against one of those three teams in Arlington. So you're gonna get four really good games to improve your rankings, and at the same time, you're sitting on your couch this Saturday watching all three of those other teams play games. You're watching all seven of those teams that are ahead of you in the rankings play games this weekend. I think all of them have gone through their bye week already. So OU is ahead of the curve as far as one game closer to the end of the season, one game closer to finishing the season undefeated. And I do think that they control 
pretty much their destiny at this point, because if you go out and you win at Baylor and out of Oklahoma state, I, I think that's really impressive. I think you're going to leapfrog a ton of teams in the process. If you're able to do that, whether you win, you know, really comfortably or by one possession, I think OU is going to be able to um, get into the, the playoffs. The most concerning point for me is that there is a log jam there in that one, two spot. And I think that's really where OU needs to be to get into the cotton bowl and play somebody that, you know, is not going to just run them off the field in the first round. Oklahoma was going to be because of the fact that they have an opportunity to run the table, get to Arlington and compete for a championship and ultimately make a, a secure another college football playoff berth. I was going to be confident in them going into Oregon. This right here, and we've seen OU players, you know, already taken to Twitter to talk about the lack of respect for, for the university of Oklahoma and their football program. I think in two weeks, it could be a bad day to be a Baylor bear. Because if, if there's anything, I think that Lincoln Riley can use this to his advantage, and we should see a highly motivated, playing with their hair on fire, Oklahoma football team uh, in, in two weeks when OU travels down to Waco. And guys, listen to this. And again, this is from Stuart Mandel. This is from the, uh, I, I guess, uh, whoever the, the spokesperson is for the college football playoff committee on ESPN on Oregon. They beat Ohio State at Ohio State, and that was really important to the committee. Since that time, Ohio State is on a roll. I, I, I just have more more questions than I do answers. I, I just don't understand it. And I guess, Corbin, maybe it's as simple as what you said. They clearly value a subjective opinion of who they think are the best teams, and then they ranked them that order. Not necessarily what you've done on the field this year from a win-loss standpoint, but they're just basing it completely on who they think are the most talented teams in college football. I thought Ohio State looked so lackluster last weekend, guys, against Penn State. I mean, we I, I praised them a little bit heading into that game because they had they had done to bad teams what good teams should do. I mean, you look at what they did to Rutgers, mm-hmm. Maryland, Indiana, three not very good football teams, and they hammered them left and right. That's great. I was not impressed with them whatsoever of how they played against Penn State. So – I don't know, guys. This is just bizarre. Um, I thought there was an outside chance that OU would be outside the top six. Um, I'm not sure I saw a world where they were at, at eight. I know it was possible, but I don't know that I I, I ever saw this one coming. I'm gonna uh, go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and say this, Corbin. Texas A&M being at 14. If they think so highly of Alabama, why is Texas A&M not ranked in the top five or six? And I'm gonna and I'm gonna go ahead and say this. Now you're going to start getting the argument. If a little bit of chaos happens um, leading up to the last three to four weeks of the season, if A&M can knock off Auburn this weekend, Auburn's ranked number 13th, you're going to see A&M jump up into that 7-8 range. If they can run the table, knock off Ole Miss, beat LSU at the end of the year, you're going to start having some fans make the argument that, hey, SEC, Texas A&M, they've got the head-to-head win over uh, Alabama. You might see Texas A&M getting some – uh, some push for that number four spot. It's too early to start spouting that type of garbage to make me have to defend hey. against that argument. <laughs> there is not, there is not another nine and O football team in the country right now. And they have the university of Oklahoma ranked all the way back at number eight. Yeah. I mean, go prove it on the field. Stop tweeting eight. No, nine and O every week. Like go actually do something. Uh, a win hey, is not a win. We want to, we want to be in the top four. We're not close. No, that's fair. I mean, I agree. Like we got to play a heck of a lot better, but 
things are, at least from the sample size that we have of Caleb starting, the team has improved. The competition hasn't been great. They need to actually show up for every game, but they've looked better uh, so far. And now we're in our bye week, which is going to make everything better magically. So <laughs> we're heading the and right again. direction. And I'm, just, I'm, trying to see, I'm trying to see the losses, guys, from some of these other teams. Well, um, Corbin, Michigan State number three. Ohio State number five, Michigan number seven. That's going to be a round robin. All three of those teams are going to beat up on each other. We've already seen Michigan State take out Michigan. They still have to play two more teams, and I think that the Big Ten is going to have an opportunity to kind of cannibalize itself. So, yes, we can freak out about it a little bit, but take a step back. We've got four more weeks to go. OU takes care of business. They run the table. There is absolutely no chance that they're not in this playoff. But like what you said, Corbin, now you're running the risk of only being able to climb as high as number four. And if there's one spot that we don't want to be in, you don't want to uh, risk the opportunity of facing Georgia in a semifinal. It's it's fair to say, guys, that if, if Bama – like it is almost a one-and-two lock. If Bama good does go and beat Georgia in the SEC championship, that's a one-and-two lock. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not moving. They'll, they're going to switch spots, but they're going to stay one-and-two. Um War Eagle, right? War it's Eagle. Crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right, guys. Well, we could talk about this for hours. I know we could uh, for the sake of our mentality to not get uh, too upset about this. Let's shift gears here. I want to talk about something happy. And for me, that is beers and bets. I can't say the same for you two. Um, but I am surviving based on both of you just not doing well. And I'm very appreciative for it. So in the month of Thanksgiving, I want to send my, my dearest thanks to you both. Uh, so last week, 2-2-1 two, two and one for myself. Puts me at 26-22-2 overall. Tyler can no longer um, be the champion of the ties. Sorry about that. Adam, 1-3-1, and 23-26-1 overall. Just not great. Tyler, 2-3 and three, uh, last week, 21-27-2. Slowly inching. Closer to Adam. We're getting there. Uh, We're getting there. We're getting there. Slowly but surely. But Adam, kick us off here. Uh, Who do you have for your first pick here um, this week? Yeah, um, I'm changing my strategy up midseason, just like John Blake did with uh, changing his offense in the middle of the year, and that seemed to work out real well. So uh, my first pick, uh, Tulane at UCF. Really what I'm doing here with all my picks is I'm going with the analytics. Over on the 59.5, over 70% of these two teams' games have hit the over. So uh, I will trust the analytics here. And uh, take the over. You know who else trusts analytics? Lane Kiffin on fourth down. And that just hasn't really been working for him at all this season. So good luck. It can't be worse than one, three, and one. I mean, it can only slightly be worse. So it, it can be worse. Just barely. Yeah. We'll see. This probably means that I'm looking at an 0 and 5 week, but this card that I've got right here, I think I can confidently say that I feel a 5 and 0 week is coming on for me. So I think that this is the week that I kind of get back into the swing of things. First pick for me. Kansas State traveling on the road to Lawrence, take on Kansas. Kansas State favored by 24 points in this one. I have no other explanation other than the fact that it's Kansas. They looked like a JV team in Stillwater last weekend. Kansas State's going to go up there and roll them. I mean, both of you just need to stay away from my Jayhawks, please. All right, I've been doing this all year long, and now you guys are starting to ride the coattails. Uh, Of course, that's where I'm going to start. K-State, minus 24. Um Amazing guys to watch what Oklahoma State did to Kansas and think that we were in a battle with them. Just going to leave that there. Yeah, we should be embarrassed. Uh, my number two, I picked Missouri last week to cover against Vanderbilt, uh, trying to use that strategy of a really bad team. But Missouri is, I think, now 0-8 against the spread. So this is the one where I'm not going with the analytics. I'm going with the law of averages here. 38-point spread at Georgia. Georgia could 
potentially shut out Missouri. Um, there's some questions about who might be playing quarterback for the Tigers, but 38 is massive um, for uh, for this type of matchup. So I'm just uh, banking on the, the law of averages here. I think Missouri can cover that. I'm going to stay in that same game, Adam, uh, Missouri, uh, Georgia. I'm taking the under on this one. Set at 59.5 points. I don't think Missouri can score more than seven, and I don't trust Georgia's offense uh, to be able to put up you know, more than 50. So give me the under 59.5, Missouri at Georgia. I, I hate hate that game, everything about it. So I stayed away from it completely. I want, I, Georgia's been hot for me this year so far, and I wanted to take it, but 38's a lot. That's a lot of points. Um, so anyway, moving on, guys, I feel like this is the biggest trap line of the entire board. Uh, Wake Forest plus two and a half against North Carolina. Um, I know North Carolina looked good against Notre Dame last weekend, but I do not believe Notre Dame is that good of a football team. And Wake Forest just keeps on freaking winning. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to take the bait. Wake Forest plus two and a half against North Carolina. I've got Michigan State minus three at Purdue. It is probably a letdown game for the Spartans, but I, I do think that they're going to be able to win. They're undefeated on the road against the spread. Um, they're they're overall one of the best performing teams against the spread all year. Uh, they've served me well in, in previous weeks, so I'll roll with them again. I think it's um, I think it's the game that they can win by a little bit more than three, but not too much more. Uh, same game for me, Adam. Michigan State minus three. I'm taking the exact same side as you. Um, I, w- I was going to kind of stay away from this, but the fact that Iowa went into Purdue a couple weeks ago and lost, I think that that completely eliminates the risk that Michigan State's going to sleepwalk into this matchup on Saturday. So they're the much better team on paper, and I expect them to do that on Saturday and cover the three points. So basically what both of you were saying to our listeners is hammer Purdue heading into this weekend. Just want to make sure. Absolutely. Given Money my line. record, probably, yeah. <laughs> Money line. <laughs> Yeah, uh, guys, another game. Tyler, I feel the exact opposite about my board as, as you do yours. Uh, Clemson at Louisville. Talked about analytics. I'm just going to go with the fact that Clemson sucks against the spread. Maybe that last uh, you know, weird play against Florida State changes things for the Tigers in their spread luck so far. That was brutal to have that game as a wash. Uh, but Clemson at Louisville, give me the Cardinals plus four. Yeah, I absolutely hated that. Um, <laughs> my number four, San Jose State at Nevada. Nevada, another team that's really good against the spread. Um, Ten points uh, giving to uh, the Wolfpack here, and I will take that. San Jose State has been uh, pretty disappointing. So uh, go Jay Norvell and the Wolfpack. Pick number four for me, um, a team that I thought was going to be in the top four, but now they're sitting outside at number six. Tulsa traveling on the road to take on Cincinnati. Cincinnati favored by 22.5 in this one. Uh, I thought that this game was going to get ugly beforehand, and now that Cincinnati really knows, hey, we've got to fight, claw, and scratch for every single possible point that we can put up, uh, I think that Tulsa gets blown out on Saturday. And, guys, college game day is going to be at this one. So, yeah, talk about a week slate. But, uh, yep, Cincinnati to cover the 22-and-a-half. I hated that pick until what just happened on the show. Uh, That 22-and-a-half looks super juicy right now. Uh, I may have to switch that here in a second. But – for me, guys, I'm staying in uh, Big 12 country, Texas at Iowa State. Uh, I think this is going to be a great game this weekend, guys, even though I think in the grand scheme of things, as far as conference rankings and such, it means nothing. Give me the horns. Uh, Monkey Gate happening in Austin gives the team a nice little plus <laughs> six and a half. <laughs> uh, no comment on that one. Uh, my last pick. I'm going with uh, UTSA, another team that's really good against the spread. They're playing at UTEP. A really actually interesting game. Two teams that are having really great years. 
the key difference here for me is that UTSA has uh, beaten Illinois. Uh, they've beaten Memphis. They've beaten Western Kentucky. Those are some pretty solid programs. Whereas UTEP's wins, um, their best win might be against either Louisiana Tech or New Mexico. So even though they're having a good year, I know they just don't have the same type of talent that UTSA does. And so I think the better team is able to win by more than 11 and a half on the road. Nice. Last one for me to kind of wrap up what I think is going to be a 5-0 car this weekend. Um, I'm going down to Fort Worth. Baylor getting six and a half points at TCU. TCU fired Gary Patterson, quote unquote, fired Gary Patterson just a couple of days ago. Can't believe they did that. Uh, guys spent 21 years at that program, kind of brought them back. They have got everything that they have now being a member of the Big 12 because of that guy. But this is a, a matchup where I've kind of am a little bit nervous. Does Baylor look ahead towards that matchup against Oklahoma here in two weeks? But the fact that I can get this under a touchdown, I still like Baylor to cover the six and a half in Fort Worth on Saturday. I mean, yeah, you know, this, this is recorded for history, all these five and O remarks before the, the games happen, Tyler. Are you sure you want to? Continue. Well, Adam, I've I've gone two and three, one and four, two and three. Uh, seems like every single week this season, there's a reason why I'm under 500. So, kind of changing it up a little bit. We'll see if we can get some better mojo going. I mean, guys, if there's one thing we need, it is for Oklahoma State and Baylor not to sleepwalk on the road this weekend. Those two teams, we cannot afford them to lose. So, hopefully, Baylor goes into uh, Fort Worth, takes care of business. Uh, ah, that one scares me. Uh, for me, I'm going back to Big Ten country. Uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, at Nebraska. 16 and a half points is a lot, but I do think they're that much better than Nebraska, and that's going to be a thing. If, if Ohio State goes in and dominates the Cornhuskers, another reason for the committee to keep Oklahoma low. And so I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Give me the Buckeyes minus 16 and a half. Uh, obviously, we have no score predictions heading into this week. I do, ex- I do expect OU to be undefeated by the time that we uh, speak next time. But guys, any final thoughts for uh, for Tyler? Wrap us up. No, uh, I'm about to head to social media, get on get on ESPN, and try to start to try to make sense and digest what we just saw uh, on ESPN with these ranking revealings. But no, I think that the committee laid it out. Um, OU number eight, you've you got your work cut out for you. Take care of business. Can't afford to slip up this year. OU's been able to bank on the fact that the last three or four times that we've been in the playoffs, they can lose one and still find a way to climb back up into it. Not going to happen this year. You got to run the table. Um, and I think OU, now that they're starting to get players back, get some of those starters back into the lineup, having a bye week this week couldn't happen at a better time. I think OU is set up for uh, what's going to be a special November for this team. Guys, Joel Klatt coming in from the Raptors. I don't know what OU football fans are all so upset about. In a few years when you're in the SEC, they don't even have to win all their games. They'll be ranked number two. So, guys, something to look forward to, you know, as we head into the uh, the mega conference that is the uh, the Southeastern Conference. Guys, I, I just wonder, based on this initial ranking, if, if, if we don't actually need to just win out, if we actually need to do it in a somewhat convincing manner. This uh, eight, eight gives me some pause on on how all this is going to shake out, but it is November 2nd. All of this plays out like it always does uh, in the way it's supposed to, so we'll see. Texas, you can't lose four games, though, in the SEC and still find a way to get back in. Yeah. Yeah, we can all agree on that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that uh... – I mean, if it's, if this team can play in a way that they have to do more than just go undefeated, great. Like, play with that motivation. Shouldn't need it uh, at this point. Uh, you shouldn't ever need it for any reason. But, 
play like it. I mean, they haven't proven that they can play like that. So now's their opportunity. It's championship November. Go prove it. Well, that's going to wrap it up for us on this edition, this bi-week edition of the Mainline Podcast. If you've made it this far, go follow us on Twitter at the Mainline Pod one And then, of course, you can find our podcast on all the various streaming services, Spotify, Apple, Google, Google Playlists. So, uh, but no, that's going to do it for us. We'll be back here next week to look ahead at the OU Baylor game, one that has a lot more intrigue into it uh, going into next Saturday. But no, that's going to do it for us here at the Mainline. Tyler, Adam, Corbin, Boomer Sooner. Cheers.